This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Guardiola delivers Jurgen Klopp's pep talk with the Reds stumbling before the finish line. With three to go in the Premier League, we'll consider if Liverpool have left it too late. Preview the visit to Villa Park. And oh yes, there might just be a wound-up manager in Manchester for us to discuss as well. To get into all of that, we have our Liverpool correspondent, both home and away, Paul Gorst, the O Squires, as well as the Wirral Wonder, Rich Garnet. <laughs> Gents, I trust you're all well. And Gorsty, I'll, I'll throw over to you first. And I mean, the draw with Tottenham, it's felt off the back of that on, on Saturday night. The balloon kind of popped now for Liverpool's Premier League title hopes. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say they, they're all over. Um, certainly not looking as promising as, as they had done. I, I think, you know, particularly after they got City gone respond so well at home to Newcastle on, on Sunday, 5 0. But um, look, Liverpool were, were chasing or are chasing the quadruple, and um, there's a reason it's never been done. Um, Liverpool have actually gone the furthest, you know, to come the closest ever to, to doing it in terms of the timeline of a season. I think the most recent was Chelsea in 2006 or seven. I can never remember which one it was, but that was May the 1st. So Liverpool have gone past that. They're going to go up until probably May the 22nd, I think, when the season finishes. And then, as you know, it's looking likely now that City are going to be crowned champions. But still so much to play for. It's been an incredible season, really. Um, you know, I, I look at the... The home and away victories against United and Everton, a um, couple of classics against City, home and away. Um, it should be a, a tremendous season. The Carabao Cup's already in the cabinet and the, the FA Cup on Saturday. And then, of course, it's going um, to going to be bookended with another European Cup final. So, you know, whatever happens in the, the Premier League title race, it's been a fantastic season. And it was always going to be improbable um, just because, as I say, it's a, there's a reason it's never been done, but City were... 11, 12, 13 points cleared at one stage or another, weren't they, as recently as, as January. So uh, Liverpool were always up against it. They did, did so well to kind of haul it back, really, and to go, actually go level on points with City on, on Saturday night. But um, City's shown that there was no hangover from the Madrid meltdown and got the job done themselves Sunday. So it's looking like might just be able to reach, but still, um, still nine points to play for. So... We'll see what happens. I think um, City have still got their tough games to come up with West Ham and Wolves on the horizon. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. But um, it is looking like City's to lose now, isn't it? it yeah. Really? Yeah, no, I completely agree with what you say there. Theo, you're the, the F1 fan amongst us. And I suppose the analogy then, is it the tyre's been blown out or is it just a slow puncture that, that Liverpool are dealing with now for the final three games? Because I suppose there is that glimmer of hope, isn't there? Wolves and West Ham to come for Man City. They aren't going to be the easiest of games, albeit it does seem as though they need to drop points in two of the remaining three games, given the goal difference swing as well. Uh, I suppose it's the same situation as it's been for half a season, you never expect City to lose games. I think every, even the most optimistic Liverpool fan would have expected them to stay ahead to win the title. And it was just slowly eating away at that points difference. And the fact that they made it a title race again was an achievement. But even if they'd beaten Tottenham, you'd still have expected City to win these last few games and to win the title by a point. 
Um, it's a little bit disappointing because that means going to the last day and you're expecting, assuming City do win these games coming up to, that they have to lose and there has to be a considerable goal swing. Whereas before, when it was just that one point difference, it could go to the last day and it could easily go either way. Or it might just be out of reach now. But then you can't write these things off because um, West Ham and Wolves, they've got to win games if they want to qualify for Europe. West Ham want to get into the Europa League again. And City against Newcastle, yeah, it was a very emphatic response. It was the perfect response from them. And that's what makes it a bit harder to swallow because it was a five-goaler rather than just Liverpool's 1-0 from the week before. But Newcastle, now their season is effectively over. It's that part-time season when there are strange results against strange sides. You get teams that are in form, but then with a month to go, they can just down tools because it's all done for them. Whereas these teams at the bottom have been struggling all year. That or in chase for Europe, that's when they can really turn it on. Um, if we'd said at the start of the season, especially when you consider last year, when Liverpool stumbled to that third-place finish, that you're going to be in the title race on the last day, you're going to be in three finals, you're going to have won at least one trophy, potentially two going into that last day. You'd have bitten the hands off for that. Uh, it's quite nice. Consolation, isn't it? I feel Spurs have ruined the title race, having made it a title race in the first place, but Liverpool could still end up with a treble. You take that at the end of the day. Yeah, and that's the case, isn't it, Rich? Is kind of this season and the way it's looked back on will kind of be in part due to, I suppose, which trophies are landed. And I suppose it's going to need to be one of the two big ones, the Premier League or the Champions League, for it really to have gone down as a, a truly classic season. Albeit, as Gorsty said before, there's there's been great moments already along the way, but it needs that crowning glory, doesn't it? Um, I think it does, and it would be deserved, which is the most important thing. It just shows you how uh, how unpredictable or how, how things can change so quickly. I mean, you know, it was only last week I was watching Manchester City somehow capitulate in a minute to Real Madrid, and all of a sudden you think, oh, my word, City are out of Europe. They could end up winning nothing, and this is all conquering multi-billion pound Manchester City who are looking, you know, to to get a fourth title in five years. And the very idea of Manchester City ending up potless at the end of this season just just seemed a little bit fanciful. But that that was that was, you know, I was starting to feel last week and then you swing it swing it to to this weekend and all of a sudden Liverpool's uh, optimism and certainly my own Around uh, nicking that league title is taking quite a bit of a bit of a blow, and you start to look at things on the other foot. And could could Jurgen Klopp only end up with a Carabao Cup at the at the end of what what we're calling the most incredible season Liverpool have had, or one of the, the greatest sides they've ever had? But they, yeah, they could they could end up with with what Leicester City won when they beat Tramier Rovers at Wembley all those years ago. You know what I mean? It's 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 incredible. But I, I think. Um, if it was a better man, if it was a if it was a put, you know, put me money on Malfi's now. I think I think Liverpool will take one of these uh, big trophies, and and of course the the odds are stacked more in favour of the Champions League now. So it might be one apiece with City, with City taking the title. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see how it does indeed play out. The 2000 League Cup final there at the forefront of, of Rich's mind 22 years ago now. But, Gorsty, let's, let's speak about a couple of the, the key 
people involved then. And I suppose we'll, we'll go first with Jurgen Klopp and the comments he made after the game on Saturday. We talked a bit about the game itself and sort of labelled Spurs as, as world-class and said he doesn't understand how they can kind of been coached to play that way. It's not his style. It's not his way. He thinks mm-hmm. they should come out and play more. I mean, he's, he's spoken to the media today, of course, and it, it feels as though kind of at the time it's kind of sour grapes from him. I mean, we all expected that from Tottenham, didn't we? They'd, they'd gone to the Etihad and, as, as Theo said, they made it a title race again by a very similar display against Man City. Yeah, they, uh, they've they got absolutely no apologies to make in terms of how they approach the game. It's it's what works for them in big games, isn't it? Um, I thought Christian Romero was superb. I thought the, the three centre-backs and, and the wing-backs not really wing-backs where they do very much pin-back for most of the game, but Cessnion did get forward for, for the goal. I think when you've got such a well-drilled kind of back five like that, and then the um, the ability of Kulusevsky and then in particular Son and Kane on the counter-attack, it's quite a potent mixture. And and I think sometimes what winds Klopp up is, is him looking at the quality of the players, in particular Son and Kane. You know, both of them were class, aren't they? And it probably frustrates him that teams aren't taking taking his team on in the manner that, that he would if he had those types of players. But that's that's by the by. You know, Conte's there to get a result away from home. Um, the most difficult place to go in the Premier League, Anfield, isn't it? And they haven't lost in front of the home fans in the, in the Premier League game for five years. Um, we'll, just, we'll just conveniently ignore the behind close season there when they somehow lost six. Um, well, that was, you know... <laughs> 101 reasons for why that happened, but um, Conte shouldn't have to, to justify the way he played. He came to get a result and, and he got one. So, um, I, you know, it was kind of a little bit, you know, Klopp kind of clarified it today in his, in his press conference before the Villa game, saying sometimes you, you say things that you wouldn't normally say, but the camera's shoved in your face 10 minutes after you've you haven't won the game that's probably just taking the title away from you and sometimes you say things and he kind of suggested that's what Guardiola did yesterday. I'm sure we'll come on to those comments shortly, but yeah, it's Tottenham got absolutely no, don't need to justify the way they play. I think um, the way they play in those big games absolutely suits them down to the ground and um, with Kane and Son up front, you know, what, what a combination they've got. How different, Theo, is it to certainly, I suppose, the, the first half of Jurgen Klopp's reign so far, actually, with what Tottenham are doing under Antonio Conte? Of effectively, yes, it's kind of deeper defending counter-attacking, of really absorbing pressure and then running into the spaces. But Liverpool under Klopp, certainly in the early days, was all about counter-pressing and winning. It, it still is much to, to the, the same point now. It's let the opposition have the ball. They'll make a mistake. And then we'll, we'll run in behind and we'll, we'll counter them. Is that not similar to to what Tottenham are doing, albeit in a slightly deeper defensive set? Um, a little bit, but not massively, because you think Liverpool were never that defensive and it cost them early on in Klopp's reign. They would make silly defensive mistakes, they'd get caught out and they had to change the tactics to the extent that it, rather than having both fullbacks bombing forward for a while, they'd have, like say, Joe Gomez tucking in or the left-back tucking in so that it was a back three tell from that little bit of uh, solidity, but it was still everyone bombing forward, not sitting on the edge of your own box. Um, but you, you play to your strengths, and Antonio Conte is this very successful Italian manager brought up on this successful Italian system of wing-backs. Uh, he's been, what, Juventus, Inter Milan, uh, Italy national team, when they've got these back fives and they make it work. 
And when you've got a player like Son, he can just run half the length of the pitch with the ball at his feet and beat everyone. And it works brilliantly on the counter-attack. Um, he can be critical a bit about them being so deep, so defensive. But they've gone to Anfield. They're going to play Liverpool. You've got one of the best home records around. They know they're in a hunt for a top four. For them, it was a case of don't lose rather than go out and try and get a shock result. And if they could get one on the counter, that would be their best chance of sneaking a victory. You can't really criticise their tactics. It's not Liverpool's way of doing things. And Klopp made that very clear. Um, the fact that Spurs can go and get these uh, tight defensive performances, go and put in clean sheets and that. This is more than we saw from Liverpool early on in their reign. They'd make a few more mistakes. They were never solid defensively until they brought in Van Dijk, Fabinho, Alisson, and they had that spine there. Spurs is rather different, even if there are a bit of similarities in how they attack it. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Rich, I suppose also, is it worth just kind of remembering there are another sort of team on the pitch and their fans and everyone who covers Tottenham will be looking at it purely from, from their point of view? And actually, is it a game in which both sides, their game plan did work, but equally not enough to, to win the game? I mean, Spurs are probably thinking about that header for Hoiberg at the end of the game. Liverpool thinking, actually, maybe there are a few more opportunities where passes could have come off Thiago's for Trent immediately kind of springs to mind. But in the end, it was two good sides playing at kind of the peak of their powers, cancelling one another out. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The, obviously, Tottenham have got a lot to play for. It's not like they're turning up at Anfield, um, lying down to take a pace in. They're trying to get back into the Champions League. Uh, there's a lot at stake and, and that's probably going to go to the last day as well. So, And we've already seen them win against City. So, you know, they're going to be no mugs. Uh, and like like uh, Gorsley said, you can have no complaints with the way that Tottenham set up to try and nullify Liverpool. You know, it's worked a treat, hasn't it? Uh, Everton tried to nullify it in their own way um, uh, the other week and, and and it almost paid off, but not quite. And, um, and this time Tottenham have, have managed to do a number and they've, they've got their noses in front and at the end of the day, Liverpool have only equalised with a deflected shot from Luis Diaz. He needed some sort of uh, some sort of luck to go the way. Could be crucial. Could be a crucial point come the end of the season. We just don't know how, how obviously how things will go. But um, it, it was obviously you didn't want to draw that game, but you most certainly didn't want to lose it. So you, the result in isolation is is on the balance of what happened in the game is an okay point. The problem is that Liverpool just can't afford to be dropping anything at this stage and. And Jurgen Klopp knows that, Pep Guardiola knows that. They've had to make up 14 points just to get into this position. And when when you do that and you think, wow, wow, you know, what a what a great run. And uh, you, you've been perfect to achieve that. But you've got to continue being perfect. And it's, it's just so hard, isn't it? It's so hard to be winning two games a week, competing on multiple fronts, and you're going to come up against decent sides. And that's exactly what's happened. And unfortunately, they haven't been able to get that one over the line. So, it, as, as frustrating as it is, the, the, the actual, on the balance of the game, and I, I think in, given given sort of lack of real chances, um, you can't really argue with the result. No, no, I suppose looking at it, Gorsi, and kind of maybe that defeat to, to Leicester around Christmas just gave Liverpool a bit too much. I was going to say to you, actually, is it, I know what you said about Liverpool being unbeaten with the fans obviously being at Anfield for, for so long, but there have been a number of draws through the course of the season at home. Chelsea, Man City, now Tottenham. 
drop points against Brighton as well at home, of course. But I suppose defeats to, to, to West Ham and certainly that one against Leicester, which kind of felt as though that had created the gap that maybe got to an insurmountable position. Perhaps in the end, Liverpool just having too much to do. It doesn't matter how great the squad is and everything. They're up against a juggernaut in Man City. Yeah, um, yeah, Clark was saying, wasn't he, that the the mood amongst his players was, was quite low. And, and you can understand that, really, because um, they've only lost two all season. Most recent defeat wasn't even in this calendar year, and, and we're in May now. Um, I think, what is it, you've collected 41 points from 45, I think. Um, so many big wins in that run. And then one draw, and... It's snatched away from them, or it feels like it's been snatched away from them. It must be so demoralising to know that these are the kind of near perfect standards you've you've got to reach now to have any chance, um, because um, if City went around, Liverpool would have won the league, you know, for the last four or five years, wouldn't they? Um, but those are the standards that they, these two teams have set, and and it's why they kind of continue to push each other on. So. Um, Liverpool, I mean, I think the players would do well to, to remember how they felt after that draw, if it was quite as bad as, as what Klopp was saying, because they won't want to feel like that now in the FA Cup final. They certainly won't want to feel like that in Paris in the Champions League final. So they've still got a lot to go for and they can still add to this legacy of, of what is, you know, one of the greatest Liverpool teams of all time. I certainly think they'll enter that conversation a lot more forcefully if they add them the European Cup to it as well. So, um, yeah, still loads to go. Um, it just feels weird that you, Liverpool don't win a game now and, and the collective mood from social media to, to us, our tone, to what Klopp's having to say, is just so damn beat. Uh, and they've only drawn. It's just incredible, the standards that they've set now. and um, They're not going to be... Um, I mean, next season, if they don't win it this season, they're going to be starting afresh next season going for it. Helpful either once more, won't they? But I think to, to your initial point, maybe they did just give themselves a little bit too much to do. There are, there are two results for me that, that stand out in particular. Um, you, you can lose to Leicester, but that's no, that can happen. It was at the end of December after such a tough run. But the draw at Brentford in September and the draw at Anfield with Brighton in October when they were 2 0 up after about half an hour against Brighton and, and didn't win the game. Um, I think those two points. You know, should have been six, and and that could ultimately be the difference. But if Liverpool don't win the league, it's not a kind of um, shock or a disaster or a, a nightmare. It's just part and parcel of competing against one of the greatest sides English football's ever seen. Yeah, I completely agree on that because if they win the Champions League and FA Cup, I, I suppose history will paint them as this great cup team who who swept all before them in cup competitions yet could still be a league side that collects over 90 points and yeah. misses out on the, the league title again. But Theo, I think it was a point you made even after the Chelsea game, wasn't it? Back in August of drawing these kind of games and equally reinforced against City that actually as, as great as the home form has been being unbeaten, there are four games in there now where eight points have been dropped. Yeah, it's the big games that are being costly this year when you look at it. Was it City did the double over Chelsea? Liverpool dropped points against them in both. They had 45 minutes against 10 minute Anfield. They were 2 0 up at Stamford Bridge. But then I think there's too many games we're pointing at here as, oh, if that had gone slightly differently, Liverpool would be champions here. Like if Mohamed Salah had scored his penalty against Leicester, if they hadn't thrown away a 2 0 lead 
against uh, Brighton, if they hadn't thrown away Leeds against Brentford, if they'd just turned up against West Ham. It's too many games, isn't it? Like These are too many moments. This is why City are three points clear at the top of the table. They haven't had as many of those defining moments. It just feels a bit more frustrating for Liverpool because so many of them came in that first half of the season. Um, you think, well, Luis Diaz for a whole season, maybe Liverpool have that little bit more to get the league title. Or if Mohamed Salah can keep up his autumn form, Diogo Jota can keep up his autumn form and they're having those performances over a whole campaign, Liverpool have got enough. But they're competing on four fronts here. As Gorsty said, this is just part and parcel of the way you challenge for football. Teams don't win every single week. And because there's an expectation now where you need that near perfection to win the league title, it means it's almost a disappointment. But we've been brought up following these great sides of United, Arsenal, Chelsea, when they were winning league titles. And you think, oh, if you get over 80 points, you get around 85 points, that's a really good season. No one else is really getting near you. Liverpool and City just get 90 points and that feels like they've almost not done enough. You need to be getting mid-90s. And that's been the case again this year. Uh, as of course you just said there, it's just two great teams. Liverpool might be coming out on top in the Cups. They gave themselves too much to do in the league. That's why it's just an achievement to have got it back from 13, 14 points to level to three. Um They've got this consolation now with the Champions League. It's that throwback to 18-19. They miss out on the league by a point. Managed to bounce back by winning the Champions League. Hopefully they can do that again. And you can also throw the Cup of Nations in there as well. We took out Salah and Mane's international fatigue. Never mind the fact that Salah lost that and failed to qualify for the World Cup. Next year, you've got a World Cup in the middle of it. But everyone's going to have that. And you're not going to miss games with these players. So maybe that'll work into Liverpool's favour that they'll have now a full season where right, we've won these cup trophies but we've had the disappointment in the league but Diaz for a full year we know we're not losing players mid-tournament for games because everyone's got uh, these this tournament and we're all having a little break at Christmas time it could play into their hands as another reason to push on again and go for the league next season as it did for them when they actually won it in 1920 Yeah okay before we talk about Guardiola Rich just going to ask you about Mohamed Salah and Theo mentioned him there. Since the Cup of Nations, he maybe hasn't quite come back at those heights and perhaps just too much is expected of him all the time. But given there is the FA Cup final at the end of this week, given Champions League finals coming up as well, do you think he looks like he needs taking out the firing line at all? Or, or as I say there, is it just too much is expected of him? And actually, the, the level of, of performance he's putting in, even at the moment, despite not always scoring, is, is still absolutely satisfactory and acceptable. Just before I come on to that, I'm just having a look there um, at um, the time before last the Liverpool won the Premier League, so 30 years ago. How many points do you think they had? 82. Any any others? Any other losses? Was that a 40? How many games in the season was it? Um, 42 games? 38. 38. Uh, I'm going to say 81. Theo? It's going to be around, oh, let's say 78. I'll go lower. It'll be a bit different. 79 is the answer. Oh. 79 points. Aston Villa second. I think Aston Villa drew. I think they drew in the last game of the season. Liverpool won against QPR. Did they, they, they lost five games in the course of the season. Aston Villa came second and lost 10. And no other side had less, apart from Liverpool, had less than double figures for defeats apart from Wimbledon in eighth, who had 16 draws. Um, so that just shows you the chasm 
in in how in, in how things used to be in an all concrete Liverpool yeah. side than to how it is now and what the standards are. It, it's it's it, as you said, it is near perfection, isn't it? And uh, to the point where a, a draw against the good Tottenham side is 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 feel you know is, is treated like a defeat, really. So yeah. Anyway, that wasn't your question. <laughs> uh, well, I asked about Mohamed Salah, but it is interesting given we kind of get it fed to us all the time about the ultra-competitive nature of the Premier League when sides... What, what was it this season, Liverpool? Was it, was it 11, 12-game winning run that, that Liverpool went on prior to the draw at Man City? Um, oh, God, now you're asking... Know, After asking Chelsea. Can't remember that, yeah. 20 games since then, Guy. Give him a chance. Yeah, no, I'm just... <laughs> I, 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 yeah, it sounds about right. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think it was a 10 or 11 game winning run. But yeah, no, it, 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 as, as we say there, it's just something that, that back in the day wouldn't have happened. But yeah, Rich, Mohamed Salah, does he need taking out the firing line? Um, I think it's just too risky, to be honest with you. Um, you know, he's football writers, football of the year for a reason. And even when he's not contributing with goals, he is contributing in other ways. He has been a little bit, uh, off, you know, off his incredibly high standards um, that we've we've already uh, touched on in, t- in other ways in terms of what you've got to do to achieve near perfection to win this Premier League. And uh, he perhaps isn't hitting the, quite those heights, but it is, I think his overall team contribution still justifies him and being in that starting lineup. It'd be, it'd be very risky to take him out. Um, and... I do think, however, that some of that responsibility, some of that load has probably been taken off him a bit by the emergence of Luis Diaz uh, on the other side. I think it's a little bit of a shame that they didn't get him on the ball just a little bit more uh, against Tottenham. And 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 really, you know, he's so exciting and, f- and fast and, and dangerous. And whereas Salah at the moment doesn't look like he really, I don't know, he doesn't look like he really wants to take a player on. He's contributing in other ways. Uh, Diaz, on the other hand, I think is chomping at the bit to get past players and and and, and stretch aside that way and, and get in behind. And um, I think I think we should definitely be looking to utilise him more, but but not at the expense of Mohamed Salah. I, I would still keep him in the side. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Right, Pep Guardiola, let's talk about him. Gorsley saying everybody in the media supports Liverpool, wants Liverpool to win the title. I mean, it's kind of the, the comment a manager who seems to be cracking makes. But for Pep Guardiola, it seems to have the opposite effect, a galvanising one. It's the kind that, that we in the media would love to jump on and say, ah, that was the moment he cracked Rafa Benitez having his, his facts press conference and rant Kevin Keegan loving it and I mean it's it's one of those where he, he said it a couple of years ago didn't he the 18-19 season he reiterated this kind of comment and narrative and actually it just seems to galvanise and put his side into a, a siege mentality Yeah I actually just think it's it's pretty offensive just to say oh well he supports Liverpool so he's not going to give us any fair coverage like these are professional journalists so we're professional journalists and it just boils everything down to who supports who, who supports what team growing up, and it's. I mean, I made the point in a, in a common piece today. It, it'd be like accusing him of not being bothered about winning the Champions League with City because he's a Barcelona fan. It's not quite how it works, you know. We're all football fans. We all grew up watching it, supporting it, various teams and whatever else. But when we're doing our job, I, I, I at no point have I ever thought. 
say, for example, a report on a national newspaper is given favourable or unfavourable coverage to certain teams because of who they once supported. Um, I think once you become a, a journalist covering a team, I, I think you, your fan card is left at the door, to be honest. So I think that was a bit of a... Um, bit of an offensive comment um, and it just it was just like the worst kind of tribal Twitter comments you can imagine wasn't it it's like something you'd see from Aqua the older era or something you know, one of these Twitter fan accounts who seem to just completely pollute social media it was, a, it was a bit pathetic really and it didn't really need to be said after he'd just come off a 5-0 win and then he doubled down on it didn't he, he accused um, James Ducker of the Telegraph of being a Liverpool fan um, and any, anyone who's ever followed you know, that particular reporter closely knows that his coverage is Manchester focused, both City and United. So um yeah, it was a bit of a nonsense comment. And um if someone who wasn't as high profile as Guardiola had made it, you'd just miss it and you wouldn't even give it the time of day. So it's peculiar that um his kind of attempt at doing a Jose Mourinho style siege mentality, you know, thing. Um, just didn't really work for me, to be honest, and thought it was quite, quite offensive to um, to middle-earned colleagues. He seems to have kind of rewritten in many ways, Theo, how English football goes about things. When Pep Guardiola came to England, it was that it's going to be too physical. His sides aren't going to be able to cope. They want to keep the ball on the ground a bit too much and everything. But do you think it comes from a position from him in many ways that he has in many ways, rewritten that. Jurgen Klopp has even adapted and certainly built the Liverpool side to be more possession-focused rather than the heavy metal football we first saw. And yet, he plays football. We were talking before about Conte and how defensive they are. His sides play football, in inverted commas, in the right way. Yet, there isn't that adulation for Manchester City, perhaps, that he feels there ought to be. I, I, I don't know. And that he then feels a way in which to deflect. He has to go on the offensive against another side as to rationale and realise why his side aren't getting the credit they deserve. Because as Gorsty said, I don't think any of us would disagree. The Man City side he has built is one of, if not the best that English football has seen, albeit he seems to, to, to feel the need to go on the offensive. It's one of the best. But when you come to Guardiola, at Barcelona, he had the best team in Spain. He had Lionel Messi, the best player in the world. But Bayern Munich... He had the best team in Germany with all these millions to spend. They could just sign whoever they wanted from their German rivals to make them weaker, make Bayern stronger. And at City, he's got City's billions. He can sign whoever he wants. Like They're on the verge of winning the Premier League title. They spent £100 million on a playmaker who doesn't start from every week and they didn't really need... I'm going to disagree a bit with you, though, because before he'd arrived, they'd never won back-to-back league titles, haven't they? They're on the verge now of winning four and five. Well, I mean, Tony's a bad manager or anything. I'm just saying, this is why there isn't that, I suppose, adulation for this City side as the same way for Liverpool. Because City, they've got that money. It's almost easier for them. It's not been built the same way. Like They've already won league titles. They've built great teams and spent all these record fees. He just made it a bit more consistent because you have that winning mentality. Uh, it's different to when you completely change a team. Like When you think back to the very start of the Premier League, when Alex Ferguson suddenly turns United into a side that can win the title and then he brings the kids through. You have the Class 92. But that was a side that, until they started winning it every single year and people got sick of it, you could get behind because it was young players winning football games. Arsenal played great football 
and like when they went on the Invincibles year, and you think of players you like foreign players like Henri, um, Perez, Lumberg, Burkamp, those are teams you liked. Chelsea, Mourinho in the early days, it was someone do, new, you got behind them. It's almost the underdog, it's someone fresh. For a city, it's just been not 10 years of dominance, but for the majority of it, it's been easy for them to win the titles and they've got the money to the extent that they can be pushed hard by Liverpool and then they can go and spend 70, 80, 90, 100 million or whatever on Erlen Haaland, just throwing an extra 30 goals next season to make it that much harder. It doesn't matter the ability of the manager here because he can just go and put that star player right bang into the team to boost his chances. Whereas Jurgen Klopp, while they have spent money, He's still lost key players along the way, like Philippe Coutinho. He's turned players like Jordan Henderson, James Milner. He's kept them going through his whole reign. He's done it a different way. And that's maybe why you have that greater respect for them. Uh, it'd be similar to say if Newcastle came up now with the, all their um, billions. And in 10 years' time, we're talking about them challenging for Premier League titles. And it's between them and City. For a little bit, it'd be like someone new. But it'll get boring. It's not the same way as a manager completely reinventing a side and a new image. It's just, oh, they've met, have the success given them to overnight because of the tools they've got at their disposal. Um, and then there's always the, the thing with Manchester City. It doesn't matter how many titles they win. They are not going to topple Manchester United as the main team in Manchester for like the history, the pedigree. It will take them a number of decades to even be in a position where they can do that, where they have to win European Cup after European Cup after European Cup and have a whole new generation of fans and wait for these old generations that remembers them as this second division side to completely change that narrative. So maybe that's where Pep's comments come on about uh, more people support Liverpool, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, they're just the secondary side in their own city. You can't really go along from that way when they have just emerged from nowhere because they were given billions overnight and can sign whoever they want. It's part of it as well, Rich. Theo mentioned the word there, narrative. We're journalists. We like nice stories. We like jeopardy, this, that and the other. But the style of play in which he is brought into Manchester City is so dominant. He's so suffocating for opponents that even yesterday, as soon as Raheem Sterling pushed Man City 1-0 up against Newcastle, you're effectively sat there going, this could be 5-0. I'll wait by the end. It is 5-0. And it doesn't feel as though I suppose that even even that Man City of old of kind of when they won that first league title of Aguero scores right at the death, the fact they'd kind of been down in the doldrums where they had been previously, that it is kind of a new club that's been incarnated since Guardiola's kind of been there and really made them so dominant that actually even the style of play for albeit nice passing triangles gets a bit boring because quite often the opposition just can't compete. Yeah, I think I think it is a bit boring, to be honest. Um, and of course, the, the response to that to be, well, we've got more points than anyone else, so tough, and that's fair enough, isn't it? You know what I mean? He's built built a very successful side. I've said this a few times on the pod that I just feel like they score the same goal over and over again. You know, they get in between the fullback and the defender, pull it back, and one of the, the many talented footballers is there to to finish it off. Uh, that's that's the goal I see routinely in my head over and over again when I think of Manchester City. Just imagine for a moment that Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool didn't exist. What sort of Premier League would we have? You'd have a PSG situation or a Bayern Munich situation where a team seems to win the league by a counter. It's all about who's finishing second and third. There's no real competition at the top. If 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 but for Liverpool, you, you know that that's the situation. There, you might have a situation of Manchester City winning five five league titles on the run, turning into Celtic or 
or you know on a, on a on a grander scale. So I'd imagine it, it, where it's critical of the national media that the national media are probably quite grateful for having Liverpool there, so so that a, a decent narrative can be uh, can be created around the Premier League season. You know, there's been a lot told about this how this could be. The, the most dramatic end to a Premier League season uh, in years, and and it, that could still be the case. So obviously we need a few snookers to make that happen now, but that, that's why the national media like Liverpool and and let's be honest, we haven't always said that, have we? That that's that's very much not been the case. Look down the years, and you know even back to their own their own dominance uh, around around the 80s and the 90s. It's, it's all a case of who, who can knock them off the perch. So I, I, I think Guardiola maybe doesn't feel quite validated for his achievements. And and there's there's, there's probably some substance in that. But, you know, Jürgen Klopp's more charismatic than him. I, I personally, I think Jürgen Klopp's side is, is, is more entertaining to watch. Uh, and then you've got that, the, the sort of the whole romance of, the, of, of, uh, of Liverpool's Liverpool's history and its passionate supporters, which as, as hard as they might try and as much money as you throw at it, you just can't replicate that type of thing. You know what I mean? Money can't buy your love uh, was written on the back of the Echo the day after um, Luis Garcia sent uh, the Reds to Istanbul. And it was, it was pure, and that was obviously a, a, a bit of a, uh, a dig at Chelsea's billions uh, and how that still couldn't buy what, what for me was probably the greatest night at Anfield, certainly in, in, in my living memory. Um, and they, they are things that Guardiola and City don't have and, and you can't just buy them. So he might not get the love that he wants from the media, but it's a bit tough. Do you want to come in there, Ghostly? Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of what Rich said there in terms of it being just that kind of ceaseless carousel of passing and they've got a very trademark goal that they, they scored. And it'd be interesting to see how and if that changes next season with Erling Haaland lining up front for them. But I just think even that is just quite boring, isn't it, in itself? You know, people saying we, we need the number nine. Let's just go and buy the hottest property in European football when we probably don't even need them. Um but it's what the pillar up against, so we'll we'll see what happens. It's um, yeah, it's just a bit. I don't know really. I I just I don't get why Guardiola feels he has to kind of pour fire on this fire on this. Um, it's almost like a a mentality that exists within Manchester City's fan base within the kind of maybe the, the, the deep dark recesses of the online forums where they feel that. Everyone's out to get them, and, and they're really not at all. It's just a case of um, they've spent the most money since coming in 2008, and a lot of people, as Theo says, will remember them as a kind of Division One scrabbler who, who won the lottery. So it's nothing to do with um, you kind of don't know really. I, I can't I can't really articulate it that well, which, which isn't great to say, but. It's just it's just strange that Guardiola seems to be obsessed and and this paranoia of the whole world's against us because you know when you've got when you've got to go to the court of arbitration for sport to overturn a two year ban from the Champions League, you, you, there's probably something going on there that, that's not quite right, isn't it? Uh, and for whatever reason, the re legal wranglings of 
the finest minds the city have been able to employ because the the you know money is no object to them outside of getting around financial fair play um, they were able to do that so um I think Guardiola should probably just coach coach the players that he's in charge of and try and make the best team that he can and, and to be fair to me he is very much doing that but um, I just feel it leaves a bit of a sour taste when he starts trying to make it you know city against the world because it really isn't it's just the way the way it is the blood red podcast from the Liverpool echo it's a rivalry, isn't it? You can jump in after this. That's kind of been built off the technical ability of both mm. sides. Yet it's when he comes out with comments like this, of course, that the Liverpool fans do then jump on it. And that then creates a rivalry, which then, when it's then put back to, to Pep Guardiola, he doesn't seem to enjoy. He just adds kind of fuel to the flames, as it were. But Theo, you can you can jump in. I was going to say it also feeds off the awards, doesn't it? Because he had a little dig, didn't he, a couple of weeks ago when Salah yeah. was announced as the, the Football Writers Award uh, winner. So that's why one reason why he's going to have a go at the journalists because they've given it to Salah for a couple of times. Like, was it Henderson won the FWA, didn't he? And then you think when PFA Van Dyke's won it, he, he always has this little moan if his players aren't winning the awards at the end of the season. But then who in that Man City side has really stood out this year to win those awards? Like Kevin De Bruyne's the best player. And I wouldn't say it's been his best season for them. He's been great, but not to those next standards. Um, it just coincides with Salah's decline a little bit since the new year. If Salah had done that a whole season long, it would be even stranger if he was coming out and having these goes at it now. But Guardiola always likes a moan at random times. He's always, it's what managers do. They have to create this them and us. And there is this rivalry there, but it still doesn't feel like uh, a fierce, bitter rivalry. The fact that if it was Manchester United, Liverpool were having this rivalry with Chelsea when they were going for all these titles over four or five years, there'd be real hatred there. But they're just, they're, it's weird to call them a mild irritants because they're so much better than that. But there isn't that spikiness to it. And there's the respect between the managers. There isn't that history, the pedigree, even the players. There isn't anyone there that you absolutely hate. Like you just respect some of the, some of the talent they've got. I think Vincent Company was a superb player. Aguero was a superb player. David Silva, Bernardo Silva, you can have a little snipe at him, but it's not the same as just the ongoing wars you'd have with like Gary Neville for a decade to the extent that even now, long after he's retired, whenever he says something about Liverpool, it's up on our website. Everyone's reading it. and you, You're waiting to throw it back in his face when he says something daft. City just don't have that spikiness in the rivalry. And Guardia make comments to try and inspire his players to motivate them. But then there isn't a rivalry there to really back it up at the end of the day. It's just two great sides who are really good at what they do, competing for these honours. And it'd be a bit more interesting if it was City win it one year, Liverpool win it the next year, City win it one year, Liverpool the next. Just because we all, we're all a bit contrary. We want someone new winning the title. We don't want it being the same outcome every single year. Um yeah, it's just a bit boring. It's going to be boring when they sign Haaland because you, you got feeling at the time is, oh, he'll score 30 goals and they'll win the Premier League quite easily. You'll wait and turn into Liverpool going, hopefully they can do what they've done again this year and make it a title race. Because as Rich said earlier, if Liverpool aren't there, it'd be so boring. They just make well, it a bit interesting. That's why they've got those supporters from outside. He could have the Lukaku effect, couldn't he? I think that's he really could. Where everyone's maybe just hoping that, that that's it. Uh, anyway, we, we, we've run out of time to talk about Steven Gerrard and the job he's doing at Aston Villa. We will have a Behind Enemy Lines podcast with you on the Blood Red channel, though, featuring Ashley Priest from the Birmingham Mail. So let's jump ahead and get into picking our team for the visit to Villa Park. Uh, Alison, between the sticks, and uh, Rich, I'll let you lead off who's going to be uh, the back four. 
Um, it's going to have a bit of a familiar feel to it. Surprise, surprise. But um, I think I'm, um, I'm looking at Trent at right back and Robert at left back and then Massip and Van Dijk in the middle. Um, and I don't know if that will be the same in the cup final, but that's what I'd go with tomorrow. OK, what about yourself, Gorsi? I can see Matt coming back in. And to be honest, I can see Simakash starting. Uh, there's one or two whispers today that Robertson's been carefully managed, uh, but it's kind of gone under the radar a little bit because Liverpool have been winning games. But it was quite evident, wasn't it, that he was brought off on Saturday and it was a bit like, well, yeah, well, I can see why he hasn't, he hasn't been too good tonight. And you could understand that substitution. So maybe just give him a little bit of a breather before Wembley. So Simakash for me, Matip, uh, Van Dijk and Trent. Yeah, I agree with Gorsty. Um I think I would like to put Joe Gomez in, but you can't change three years' defence. Klopp said this on record before. He doesn't want to make that many changes to his back four. Um, Simicast is the one who's had less game time recently. Robertson has looked a little bit tired in the last few games, so that makes sense. Uh, Canate started the last couple, so it makes sense again, putting Matip in, and then it just leaves him with the centre-back dilemma for the FA Cup final. But you expect a few changes with it being the cup final with the turnaround from Spurs. So, yeah, two changes. Simicas at left back, Matip along Van Dijk, and then Trent keeps his place. OK, Theo, I'll ask to, to stick with you for your midfield. Oh, this one's tough, isn't it? There's so many options. That's why you're picking the midfield. <laughs> That's why you're making me go first. This is where Doyley would say, come to me last. Um, I'll probably change my mind, you know, after we've done this pod. Uh, Henderson is the number six. Caters in, and yeah, let's go, James Milner. Why not? It's his former club. Okay. Rotate the midfield, give him some energy. Rich, um, it comes down to I think how much priority yeah, and Klopp is still putting on this game. You know what I mean? If he still thinks he can win the league, then he has to put out the strongest side that he's got. Um, Whereas in a normal season, or uh, um, this is definitely not a normal season, by the way, uh, in, in a norm, an ordinary season when you're going into an FA Cup final, you'd probably look to rest a few, wouldn't you? Um, but I don't think he has that luxury. Uh, and for that reason, I think I would have uh, Fabino, Thiago and Naby Keita uh, as my three. I'm not quite feeling Henderson at the moment. I'm not quite sure... Um, I'm not sure, sure he, he's right at the level. And if, if they're going to have any chance to win the league, uh, obviously they've got to be Aston Villa. That goes without saying. So um, that's the three I'd go with. I think that shows that Rich isn't giving up on the league, whereas I'm just going, I'll just win the FA Cup. <laughs> but, you know, my, my, my son is going to the FA Cup final. So like, I should be I should be wanting um, Liverpool to win that above, above anything else, which obviously goes against the... <laughs> The, the, the usual hierarchy of Champions League and that. But, but you're quite right. I'm a bit of an uh, eternal optimist and yeah, I've not quite given up on it just yet. Or you're setting your son up as a as a true football fan to be uh, given a bit of disappointment early on to then come, come fighting back. <laughs> like a season pass, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Gorsley, <laughs> what about your midfield? Uh, I, can, I can make the case for Milner. As I said on the pod last week, you're surprised to see James Milner starting in midfield for a team who can probably legitimately claim to be the, the best in the world at the moment. And there he was giving a man of the match performance against Newcastle. So I wouldn't be shocked if, if he got the nod. Um, may, might even be a shot for Curtis Jones as well, you know. 
Um, I think Richard's midfield will be my cup final midfield. Henry, Cater, Thiago and Fabinho. I think Thiago's played a lot of football, so I'm not going to go with him. I'm going to go with Fabinho, Milner and Jones. Interesting take. Okay, stay with you, Gorsty, for your front three. I think Diaz will start Saturday. So I'm going to play Jota down the middle, Mane on the left, Salah on the right. There we go. Rich? Well, I've already said we can't take Salah out, so he'll have to be in. Um. I, I can see what Gorsky's done and I could, I could see that happening. It's just, I, 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 I haven't given up on the league, which 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 to me would be Salah, Mane, Diaz. Um, other, but I could still get, I could see it going the other way as well with Jota and Mane back where he was, but no, I think Diaz has got to play. So I'll stick, I'll stick as I was. <laughs> Salah, Mane, Diaz. Okay, Theo. Um, I don't think Salah would like being dropped. Like, he's still got the golden boot to go for as well. Son scored at the weekend, so it's what two between them. And if you're thinking when Spurs have got to play like Burnley, Norwich, uh, Salah needs a couple of goals in the league to make sure he's got that trophy. So Salah starts on the right. Um, I'm going to lean on the Jota side of it. Jota down the middle. Mane on the left. I think Diaz, they're still managing him a little bit. I'd like to see him start. I just don't think they will. So, yeah, I'll go with that three. Okay, and quick whip round then on predictions. Theo, you can go first. Rich, you follow on, and, and Gorsley, you finish up. Not 7 2. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, 2 1 Liverpool. It's going to be tight. It's going to be they're a little bit tired. Yeah, it's going to be a tight one. Rich? Um, I'm going to keep the positive vibes going. <laughs> I'm going to go with a 3 0 away win. 3-0 on Gorsley. 2-0. I think um I think Matip and Van Dyke is just just something about that back line that usually means the teams find that out to score. So I think uh, I think Liverpool will keep a clean sheet. Fateful last words ahead of a trip to Villa Park. Anyway, let's wait and see how it does all play out. Plenty of build-up to come, as I say, the Behind Enemy Lines podcast and video on the Blood Red audio channels, as well as YouTube as well. But for myself, Guy Clark, Theo Squires, Paul Gorse and Rich Garnett, thanks for your time and your company here on Blood Red. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.